if you have your Bible, we're going to finish talking about Jonah today, Gideon today, from Judges chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. I uh, I finished reading my first fantasy novel a few weeks ago, and saints, it was it was good. It was it was recommended to me to me by two members of our church, and and one of my favorite characters in the book is known as a keeper. And as a keeper, he preserves the knowledge and memories of the world. And each keeper has a particular area of expertise, such as religion, ancient kings, and leadership. The keeper I'm talking about is an expert in religion. With with a knowledge of over 500 religions, he has knowledge of all of them. He preaches and he teaches these religions. He even tries to to match people with a religion that that fits them. Later in the novel, this keeper would experience a a life-changing tragedy. The woman he loves dies. Her death causes him to stop teaching the religions that he knew, and, and it sends him on a journey to discover which one of the religions in his portfolio is actually true. And in his eternal conflict, it comes to a head when, when he learns that the faith of his people still exists. A faith that he believes have, has been erased from the world. And so with this renewed passion, he, he, he takes this new knowledge and he heads to the homeland of a species known as Kendra. For they have the knowledge of his people's faith. And he wants an audience with them. Eventually, he gets an audience with the, the, the Kendra's first generation. And they tell him about his people's faith and, and their prophecies. And at first, the, the keeper is not impressed with, what with, what, with the things they're telling him. Because it's no different from the 500 religions he already knew. This is what he says to them. That's where every religion teaches. Yet in each of them, I find inconsistencies. Logical leaps, demands of faith that I find impossible to accept. In reply, one of the Kandra says, it sounds to me, young one, that you're searching for something that cannot be found. Truth, the keeper said. No, the Kandra says, a religion that requires no faith of its believers. TVC Saints. And guess, Christianity is a religion that requires faith of its believers. And that is an amen statement. Thank you, Amy. It demands faith. It calls its followers to walk by faith and, and not by sight, not by in what they can see, touch, feel, and taste, and comprehend. Christianity calls us to walk by faith as we battle our adversaries. With limited resources, limited manpower, limited privilege, limited power, because the battle belongs to the Lord and not us. But do we really believe that? Remember Gideon and his 32,000-man army. They're on the verge of battle with limited resources, manpower, privilege, and power from a human perspective. 
And yet the Lord tells Gideon he can't give the Midianites into his hands with 32,000 men in his army because they will boast over the Lord. They'll say, our hands have saved us. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? When you got over and you made it through, who do you really believe saved you? Most of us think it's our hands. Because as American Christians, you know, we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? Do y'all remember the Lord's solution uh, for Gideon? It's a reduction in force, a reduction in in resources and manpower. He reduces his 32,000-man army through a voluntary reduction. And don't forget last week's sermon. How many men decide to leave the camp? 22,000 men leave. Over 50% of the army. 10,000 remain. And listen, from a human point of view, from our point of view, the odds were never in Gideon's favor. They were never in his favor. Even before he left his hometown to go do battle against his adversary, victory wasn't in his favor. And now this reduction appears to make that even clearer. I asked myself this week, why, why didn't Gideon just tell the Lord, I'm going to join those 22,000 men and I'm going home too? Why didn't he? But why does he decide to stay? What do y'all think? Is it because Gideon is the commander? Is it because he's stronger? Is it because he's smarter? Is it because he's better equipped and trained? No, Gideon remembers the sign of the fleece. He believes and he stays and he will continue to stay for one reason, and that is faith. That is faith. Not faith in his abilities and his talents and his resources, his connections, his platform, or his treasures. It's faith in Yahweh Elohim. He stays and will continue to stay because he's taking God at his word. Do you take God at his word? Do you? Do you take him at his word? Or do you only believe it when it's easy? Do you only believe it when it's convenient? Or do you truly believe it regardless of your circumstances? He believes the Lord God will be faithful to his promise to deliver the Midianites into his hands. That's the promise God made to Gideon. He trusts the Lord even as the Lord reduces his manpower. Even as the Lord takes resources away. Do you still trust the Lord in what he has called you to do, in the battles he has caused you to fight, in the causes he has called you to stand up for? Do you believe he is faithful to sustain you, even as he may take things away from you? Gideon steps out in faith with less than what he desires because he's truly believing the battle really does belong to the Lord and not him. Again, what about you? What about y'all? Remember, Christianity is a religion that requires faith of its believers. 
even when they engage adversaries in life, it still requires faith of them. Spiritual adversaries, emotional, mental, physical adversaries, it still requires faith in us to engage them. And faith in Christianity is a two-sided coin. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Alex? That's a great question. On one side of the coin is what I call saving faith. Saving faith is redemptive. It's salvation. It's the initial faith that, that receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. It trusts and rests and depends on him alone for salvation and forgiveness of sins because of his death and resurrection. It's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. For by faith you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. Saving faith is one side of the faith coin in Christianity. And the other side is a serving faith. Serving faith. Serving faith is faith in action. It is you practicing what y'all preach. It's living out your Christian beliefs. It's correct and ethical living. And what does it look like? Serving faith looks like verse 10 in, in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so we shall walk in them. Some of y'all think the battles you're fighting You think it belongs to you. The causes you fight against, the things you stand up for, you think it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to you. It's a good work that God prepared beforehand for you to walk into. He did that. You're not doing it. A servant faith is walking in the good works that the Father has prepared beforehand for you. And here's the thing. We all ain't walking in the same works. Some of them are going to be different. And what we do is we try to call out other people because their battle ain't our battle. What are your battles? What are your causes? How are you salt and light, church? You think your fight against abortion is just your fight? You think your fight against injustice is just your fight? It's not yours. It's, the battle belongs to the Lord. And if you're fighting those battles, he's the one who placed you there for his glory, not your own. It's not for your platform. It is for his. And what are some of these good works? It's, it's a, one of the good works is a daily surrender of your time and treasures and talents to Jesus. That is a good work. It's a daily belief in, in his faithfulness and his promise. It's a daily love for Jesus and love for your neighbor. It's a daily love that expresses itself in truth and deeds, like being a voice for the voiceless. An advocate for the oppressed. Serving faith is faith in action. 
That's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you believe? And speaking of Hebrews 11, do y'all know that this chapter lists a cloud of faith witnesses? A great cloud of witnesses from the Old Testament. Men and women from the Old Testament who live by faith, a saving faith and a serving faith, trusting in God's promises and stepping out on that belief to accomplish what God has called them to do. Guess who's part of this great cloud of witnesses? In Hebrews 11, Gideon, the same Gideon who steps out on a serving faith in Judges 7 with less than what he desires because he believes the battle belongs to the Lord. He doesn't return home with the 22,000 men because he's standing on God's promise to him. He continues to stand even when the Lord comes to him and says, the remaining 10,000 men are still too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands. The Lord is just full of surprises. Full of surprises. Is it confusing? Yes. Does it make sense? No. Is it logical? No. How can the 10,000 men remaining still be too many? Well, again, you're already outnumbered. How can it still be too many when you see with your eyes that the odds are already not in your favor? How can it still be too many, Lord? How can you? How can he, God, say, I, I still have too much resources when the deck is already stacked against me? Am I the only one that feels that way at times? That sometimes God is calling me to do something that feels impossible to do? Maybe y'all have it all together. Maybe your life is just easy and comfortable. Have you ever asked those questions? Why, Lord? Why, why, why? The Lord reduces the army a second time for the same reason he reduced it the first time. Even with 10,000 men, Israel would still boast over the Lord if he gives them the victory. Notice what the guy cares about here. He cares about his glory. Oh, he loves you, but not enough to give you his glory. So if that's what you're wanting, then you're going to be waiting for a long, long time because it's not going to happen. So another reduction in force comes. It's a mandatory reduction by an executive order. The Lord gives Gideon the order, and he's going to now handpick the men who will go and handpick the men who will go back home. Look at verse 4b. The Lord says to Gideon, take the men down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. With you. Everybody ain't going to go with you in the battles that you fight. The 
ones that will go with you are the ones that God has ordained to go with you. Gideon leads the men down to the water brook without questioning the Lord's decision. Notice that. Gideon does not question the Lord's decision. Throughout the chapter, God commands Gideon responds. So he leads them to the water to be tested by the Lord for God to make his final cut. And the term that's used for test can also mean to purge away, to refine, to examine, to sift, like flour. That's what God's going to do to the, the army at the water brook. And he doesn't do it by parting the Red Sea. He's not going to do it by performing a miracle. Sometimes the Lord works through ordinary means to achieve his purposes in this world. Sometimes he works through the mundane. He sifts getting his army simply by the way the men decide to drink water from the water brook. Look at verse 5. And the Lord says to Gideon, Everyone who licks the water with his tongue as a dog licks, you should set by himself. And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. How many men licked the water like a dog? How many knelt down to drink? 300 men licked the water to drink, and 9,700 knelt down to drink. The men are not separated in two groups, but, but which group would go with Gideon? The logical choice is the 9,700. That makes sense to us. But again, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's going to give victory and deliverance in such a way that he gets all the glory and credit. Period. Period. He gets it. And he says to Gideon, with 300 men who licked the water, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Again, take a moment to... To, to take those words in. With 300 men, I will save you and give you the victory. And you read that, and many of you are thinking, what is this, 300 Spartans? Is, is this what this is based on? Is this real? Is this really real? Is this really happening? How? This is impossible. Too good to be true. How can 300 Men who are not even soldiers fight a battle in which they're outnumbered. The odds are not in their favor. It seems and feels like they've been set up to fail. It, it feels as if, as, if, as if they're going on a suicide mission, a mission that would fail. Because this is reality saints, giving is going to go into battle with 300 men, limited manpower, limited resources, and limited power. He's headed into battle. I ask myself, at what point did God know he was going to send Gideon in the battle with 300 men? At what point? Is God just making it up as he goes? Is he building the airplane as he flies it? No. The Lord knew before he calls Gideon to this task that he will send him out with 300 men for this final battle. He knew from the start he will fulfill his promise to Gideon this way. And the same is true for all of y'all because in the battles you face against the various adversaries you face, 
the mental ones, the, the emotional ones, the physical ones, the health ones, and, and, and the social ones like injustice or poverty or fatherlessness. Sometimes the task and the battles would seem so great that victory is impossible. It would seem like the enemy is winning. It would seem that evil is flourishing and unbelief and fear would just take over your life. And saints, here's an important point here. God has to bring his people to a place of greater faith and trust so they'll step out with less than what they want. Now I'll repeat that. God has to bring you to a place of greater faith and trust so you will step out with less than what you want, with less than what you think you need. He meets you in your fear. He meets you in your unbelief. He meets you in your uncertainty. He meets you in your brokenness. (coughs) He meets you in your doubts. He'll meet y'all where y'all are. And then shepherd each of you to the place he wants you to be. That's our God. Please go back and read Judges 6. You will see the Lord over and over and over again meeting Gideon and ministering to his unbelief and his brokenness and his weaknesses. God prepares him for this moment. And notice, Gideon didn't prepare himself. God did it. And now will he trust him and believe him with 300 men? Will he trust and submit to God's will? Will he believe that God is faithful to keep his promise to him, even though God has reduced his army twice? (coughs) Yes, he trusts him. For God has brought him to a place of stronger faith. He trusts and, and believes that, the, that God is able to still fulfill his promise, even though it may appear as if he can't. He steps out with less men. He steps out with less resources, not because of who he is, saints, but because of who his God is, Yahweh Elohim. Just a moment. He steps out because of who his God is, a covenant-keeping God forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? He'll give Gideon victory 300 men. He'll do the impossible. Do you believe your God can still do the impossible? Do you? Right now, in the things that you see, in the things that we see on TV, when we see violence, when we see crime, when we see injustice, when we see people dying from, from COVID-19, when we see all the brokenness that exists in the world, the poverty, all of it, do we still believe our God is still able? If we don't believe it, how can we hold a sinful world to a belief system that we ourselves don't believe and we should believe in? Jeremiah 32:27 says, "Behold, I am Yahweh, the Elohim of all mankind. Nothing is too hard for me." And he drops the mic. 
Our God doesn't like self-esteem. He fully knows what he's capable of doing. He doesn't doubt himself. He doesn't have to go to a counselor. doesn't have to go meet with Oprah to, to build himself up. He knows who he is, and he's doing what he's always been doing. Do you think this is his first rodeo? Do you think this is his first time? No. He's been doing what he's been doing since Adam and he fell. Redemption. Healing. Restoring. We do see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We just have to open up our eyes and see it. Do you see it? Do you see it? <coughs> if you have saving faith in Jesus right now, if you have saving faith in Jesus, then the right person with all the right connections and resources is already on your side. Take that in. If you have a relationship with Christ, the right person with all the right connections and all the right resources is already on your side. There's a hymn that says, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord of hosts, his name, from ages to ages, the same. And he must win the battle. The battle for our salvation, the battles that y'all are currently fighting against the spiritual forces of evil that manifest themselves in flesh and blood, that manifest themselves in, in the systems that humans have created, that, that manifest themselves in laws that are unjust, that masquerade as an angel of light, pretending to be an ally, but they're not. Saints, beloved of God the Father, y'all can step out in faith and be salt and light in America, speaking truth to power, holding others accountable, taking the gospel to the masses, being a voice for the voiceless, an advocate for the oppressed. Each of you can step out with less than what you probably want, you can step out with less resources, less education, less money, less connections, less manpower, less time, less social media likes, less knowledge and experience, not because of who you are, but because of who your God is for you. <coughs> your Savior, your Redeemer, your Sustainer, your Advocate, your Provider, your Healer. Your Lord, your keeper. That's who he is for you. And he's on your side. Does it give you confidence? Does it give you boldness? Does it give you the, the willpower to persevere and to endure, to continue to fight and not give up? It should. It should. Christians have what no other group of people in the world has the favor of the one true God and yet we live like pagans we live like pagans 
We go from battle to battle in unbelief. <coughs> we do. Paul says in the Rom- Romans 8, 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you believe that verse is true? Do you believe it? When the battle belongs to the Lord, the odds will always be in your favor, saints. When the battle belongs to the Lord, you can let him sift your life. When the battle belongs to the Lord, you can go out into battle with 300 men and women. When the battle belongs to the Lord, y'all will be afflicted in every way, but not crushed. You will be perplexed, but not driven to despair. You all will be persecuted, but not forsaken. You will be struck down, but not destroyed. When the battle belongs to the Lord, you can battle your adversaries while quoting hip-hop artist Kendrick Lamar as he says, All's my life I have to fight. All's my life I. Hard times like, yeah. Bad trips like, yeah. Nazareth, I messed up. Homie, you messed up. But if God got us, then we're going to be all right. Do you hear me? Do you feel me? We're going to be all right because the battle belongs to our God and King. Father, we're going to be all right. We are going to be all right. That's good theology from a hip-hop artist. We're going to be all right. Help us to believe that as we persevere, as we fight, as we engage. We're going to be all right. Because you're with us. You would never forsake us. The battle belongs to you. So we can rest. Help us to live by faith and not sight. Looks can be deceiving, Lord. You're not losing this thing. You're winning. Help your people to have confidence in our God. And that he would give us what we need to be the salt and light we need to be for a dying and broken world. It's in Christ's name that I pray.